Hi everyone, it's Fraser here and I have a really exciting announcement. In October, we'll be doing a special live episode of The Brendan O'Neill Show. Brendan will be joined on stage by the legendary Rod Liddle. You will not want to miss this. It's part of an event called Podcast Live. It's taking place on the 5th of October between 2.30 and 3.30 in London. Tickets are now available at podcastlive.com. There are two types of tickets. You can buy tickets for just The Brendan O'Neill Show or you can buy an all-day ticket, which includes access to all the other podcasts at Podcast Live. Whichever ticket you choose, whether it's all day or a single show, when you go to podcastlive.com, make sure you click the link below the Brendan O'Neill Show logo, as that's the only way you can guarantee a seat for our podcast. So that's the Brendan O'Neill Show with Rod Little at Podcast Live on the 5th of October. Don't miss it. Now, on with the Spike Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Spiked Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and with me this week we have Spiked's editor Brendan O'Neill. Hello. And Spike columnist Tim Black. Hello. Coming up on the show, the war on no-deal Brexit, Greta Thunberg's US voyage and the ban on gender stereotyping in adverts. Well, leaving the EU without a deal would be just as much a betrayal of the referendum result as not leaving at all. Why would no deal be a betrayal? A tangible route to prevent no deal and how we can guarantee it. There's a terrible collaboration, as it were, going on. We will put a motion of no confidence against this government in order to try and stop no deal. With the government vowing to take Britain out of the EU, do or die, on the 31st of October, the fight against no deal has been stepping up. Earlier this week, former Chancellor Philip Hammond said that a no-deal Brexit would be a betrayal of the referendum result. He also said he was very confident that Parliament could find a way to stop no deal. For weeks, Remainers have talked of potentially installing governments of national unity to stop no deal, led and filled with other Remainers. Caroline Lucas, the Green Party's only MP, has suggested a cross-party all-female cabinet. Meanwhile, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn has suggested a temporary caretaker government led by himself. Tim, um, what's your take on these uh, latest uh, constitutional wranglings? Well, it's just, uh, it's a terrifically depressing spectacle. You know, this is, you know, over three years on from the actual referendum result. And I feel like the same parties, well, the same participants are still trying to do the same things they've been trying to do for three years. Uh, Corbyn and, and the kind of Corbyn clan just seem to be absolutely set on seizing power, but, you know, by fair means or foul. They seem to be just almost intent on using Brexit to enable Labour to uh, achieve some kind of nominal uh, leadership of Parliament. And it's just... It, it, it's incredible to see them still trying to do this. And nothing mm. much has changed three years on. Uh, and then there's the likes of Philip Hammond and other Remainer MPs and former former uh, ministers uh, still trying to do what they've always done. The news this week, which was probably most shocking, was that uh, Philip Hammond back in 2017 had been liaising with the Electoral Commission, almost asking their advice on how best to overturn uh, the referendum result. So that's the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer and a Tory government, uh, which was explicitly dedicated to executing the referendum result uh, in 2016. And he was there actually acting against it. And he, it just shows that the vested interests in Parliament and their inability to actually sort of move away from those interests and still trying to do the same things they've been doing right from the start. And it, I keep thinking, you know, I think if there was a nuclear apocalypse, I think, and it destroyed every institution in the Western and developing world, I think Remainers, almost like cockroaches, would still be around. <laughs> 
still be around trying to overturn the 2016 referendum result. <laughs> the, the Philip Hammond example is, is, is fascinating because, you know, he's long been accused of failing, you know, to adequately prepare the country for no deal. And as you say, it's not only, not only was the government, you know, saying that they intended to take us out of the EU, you know, Theresa May was on TV every 10 minutes saying, no deal is better than a bad deal. No deal is better than a bad deal. They campaigned in the general election on the basis that no deal is better than a bad deal. And yet behind the scenes were, you know, basically doing the complete opposite, making sure that no deal was never really a realistic possibility. So for one example, you know, the Treasury refused to notify small businesses of what they should do in the event of of no deal in the same way that they had notified big businesses. Mm -hmm. There's also accusations that Philip Hammond blocked billions and billions of pounds of of, of funding, um, you know, related to no deal planning. I think the original figure was around three and a half billion that was set aside for it. But he only eventually released about 500 million of that for other projects. Philip Hammond's interventions this week are the culmination of a, a long campaign against No Deal and against actually the referendum result itself. I mean, I think it's worth just thinking about the magnitude of what is happening in the United Kingdom right now, which is that the political elite is pursuing a coup against the people. I mean, mm. that is literally what is happening right in front of our eyes, whether they're using underhand methods of failing to prepare for No Deal purposely in order to scupper leaving the European Union, or whether they're doing it openly and explicitly, like Caroline Lucas saying, let's have a all-female cabinet to prevent Brexit from happening, or Jeremy Corbyn digging up Tony Benn's body and effectively dancing on it by saying, I am the man <laughs> who can stop Brexit. I am the man who can destroy uh, 30 years of Euroscepticism that I devoted my life to, this kind of shameless abandonment of principle, which I think is genuinely alarming that someone can behave like that. But what they're all doing, whether it's underhand or open, is trying to prevent the enactment of the will of the people. Mm. And it's some people can't see that, I think, because all the talk is about preventing a no-deal Brexit. So that's the focus. That's the focus of Philip Hammond. That's the focus of Joe Swinson of the Lib Dems, Jeremy Corbyn, and virtually the entire political establishment. And it looks like they're saying, we just want to stop an extreme Brexit. We just want to stop a hard Brexit. Or in Caroline Lucas's words, we just want to stop a billionaire's Brexit, which is such a bizarre idea, considering all the billionaires who are lined up against Brexit and pumping (laughs) the Remainer camp with money. But behind that, what they really mean is we have to stop Brexit. Yeah. Because everyone knows that no deal Brexit is really the only form of Brexit left on the table. Everyone says we didn't vote for no deal in 2016. But the key point is we didn't vote for a deal either. We Mm. just voted to leave the European Union. And that's the thing they're trying to stop. So you read this stuff and Tim's absolutely right that what we have is Parliament pursuing its vested interests against the people. And one of the most frustrating things about the current discussion, which I think is really worth cutting through and explaining this to people, is that Parliament presents itself as standing up to an overreaching executive, Mm. a, a cruel government, a kind of authoritarian government that has no real democratic legitimacy. That's not true. What Parliament is actually doing is standing up to the people and trying to deprive them of the thing that they voted for in 2016. So this is more than a constitutional crisis uh, or even a political crisis. I think it's a historic crisis where Parliament is not only refusing to represent the people's wishes, but is openly conspiring against them. And I think that will go down in history as one of the most shocking political events in, in British life. Tim? 
Yeah, it's, it's just also incredibly disingenuous. I guess it always was uh, for Remainers to talk about themselves as if they're standing up for parliamentary sovereignty and therefore mm. the best traditions of English or British democracy, depending on how you want to term it. Uh, so at the moment, of course, they're obsessed with Johnson and, and the power behind the throne, which is Dominic Cummings, who's just yeah. been turned into this <laughs> Rasputin-like character. Uh, and they're obsessed with this idea that uh, Johnson and Cummings are set on proroguing parliament and so on. And they're saying, you know, th- w- what a terrible violation of democratic constitutional processes uh, this is. While at the same time, just over, you know, just this last weekend and last week, uh, they were, plenty of Remainers were talking about appealing to the Queen, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, you know, an unelected, you know, the, the most senior, of course, unelected person in the realm. And they wanted her to intervene and overturn anything that Johnson tried to do, to basically act against the executive, uh, which is actually only carrying out what was mandated in 2016. Yeah, I mean, there was even talk of um, sending the Queen to the EU Council yeah. and have her personally <laughs> ask for the, you know, Article 50 extension. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a really important point. You know, a, few, a couple of years ago, Polly Toynbee, who at The Guardian, who's obviously deeply emotionally hysterically anti-Brexit, <laughs> like her class of people tend to be. She wrote a piece in which she said, there is a whiff of cordite in the air and there's a feeling of civil war in the air. And I actually mm-hmm. think she was right about that. Not in the sense that people are going to start picking up muskets or other weaponry and attacking each other, but all the kind of unresolved questions off the English civil war are actually coming back to life. I mean, that, to my mind, is one of the great things about the vote for Brexit. It kind of lifted the lid of history. You know, all those things that the political class and especially the technocratic political class of the past few decades have tried to suppress questions of sovereignty and who's who really has power and questions of class and division and everything else. They really try to suppress those things by making politics as managerial and uh, ideology free as possible. And the vote for Brexit was really just the public kicking the lid off their attempts to suppress those questions. And unsurprisingly, all those questions from history have come flowing back into public life. You know, who's sovereign, the people or parliament? What is the role of the monarch? Is it really right for a monarch to have any authority whatsoever over parliamentarians? All those questions that many, many English men died over have come back to life. And I find that quite exciting. The problem is that it can be hard to clarify what's at stake in all of this because, uh, as Tim said in his rather weary feeling introduction, it's been going on for so long and people are understandably getting tired of it. But I do really think it's worth teasing out the uh, core components of this conflict, which is fundamentally the question of who rules in a democracy. Mm. Does the monarch rule? I think most people would say no. Does parliament rule or does the people rule? And there was a really interesting YouGov poll which asked the question, what is the role of an MP? Is it to pursue their own convictions even if they run counter to their constituents' wishes? Or is it to pursue their constituents' wishes even if those wishes run counter to the MP's own convictions? Around 80% of MPs said their role is to pursue their own beliefs, regardless Mm. of what constituents think. Whereas I think around 7% of ordinary members of the public (laughs) said the same thing and actually think that MPs should be pursuing constituents' interests. That is, I think, Brexit Britain summed up, where you have MPs who think they should do what they think is best. And you have a public who's actually crying out for a more direct form of democracy and saying, you have to do what we instruct you to do, 
otherwise you're in trouble. So it's a tense time politically. It's also a very interesting time. But the thing that's at stake, which is the idea of democracy, is the thing that we've got to really start reflecting on. You're listening to The Spiked Podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher and more. And if your provider allows you to, why not give us a rating and a review while you're there? It really helps new listeners find the show. Teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg set sail for America this week on a carbon-neutral yacht. Thunberg is due to address the UN's Climate Action Summit in New York. It will take her two weeks to cross the Atlantic. The expensive yacht, owned by a Prince of Monaco, has been fitted with solar panels and underwater turbines. Also this week, Greta was given GQ's Game Changer of the Year award. Brendan, um, I take it you're not on board with all this uh, Greta mania? No, not at all. Poor Greta. I think she's really (laughs) heading for trouble because I think she's been exploited and manipulated. So uh, I know I've bashed Greta in the past and said a couple of mean things about her, but I think the key problem in all of this is adults. Mm. The educational establishment, which is pumping children with the politics of fear, obviously the environmentalist movement, the political class who worship at Greta's feet in a really embarrassing way, celebrities who are lining up to talk to her. Um, they're all pushing her to the forefront of this absolutely hysterical, demented campaign, which argues that humankind is bringing about its own destruction through industrialization and progress and modernization and everything else. Complete lunacy uh, and they're using this mentally fragile autistic girl to push that message which i think is cruel and a complete and utter abdication of adult responsibility they're treating her as a messiah i mean the way they talk about her as this pure creature free of sin who according to her mother can actually see carbon emissions because she's some kind of prophetess you know and now sailing across the atlantic which i think is her equivalent of Christ's 40 days in the desert, you know, this kind of, and, and all about demonstrating to the rest of us how to be a good, pure person. And, you know, she's come to save humankind from sin, effectively, from eco sin, from our destructive, sinful behavior. It's, it's becoming a religious cult. And you know, it's becoming a religious cult because if anyone raises even a peep of criticism about Greta, they will be shot down instantly because you're also not allowed to blaspheme against this new, messiah-like figure i think it's further proof the the cult of greta is not her fault it's simply further proof that the middle classes and the political elites have completely lost the plot tim yeah i completely agree on this uh, transformation of greta into uh yeah like, like a jesus christ-like figure um it's just, you know she's going you know she's sailing across the atlantic of course on a toiletless yacht there's no toilet there it's almost every privation that she has to endure mm. is you know is, is never greater mark of her virtue mm. uh, you know she's she really is dying for our sins or well not dying but uh, <laughs> certainly not going to the toilet for our sins <laughs> and again as, as as brendan says she she and actually her generation you know because it's not just her it's all the other children which uh, teachers are quite happily uh, willing to let go out on strike as they as they call it at the same time as they try to prosecute parents if they uh, take their kids yeah. to Disneyland during term term time um her her generation is not telling adults 
something they don't want to hear. It's yeah. telling adults what they've already been scaring and telling children mm. into believing. Greta herself actually says that she became aware of the plight of the planet when she was eight years old during a lesson. Uh, she said she was shown footage, I think, and, and told by the teacher that the oceans were full of plastic and she became terrified. She talks about how terrified she was mm. as a young girl. And that's what's driven her to embrace the environmentalist cause. And she was terrified by adults. And that's what's truly terrifying. Adults have terrified Greta and her generation mm. into telling them what they want to hear. What a bizarre, mm. circuitous root. <laughs> <laughs> I think the role of adults is absolutely key to all of this, the, the role of adult society in instilling terror in the next generation. And as Tim says, then they want that terror reflected back to them by yeah. children. It's a kind of political sadomasochism because what they're doing is inviting this child in particular and other children too, presumably, to come in and tell them how horrible they are and yeah. how disgusting they are and how their generation has failed the youth and the, the children of the future. Um, and they're lapping it up. You know, you look at British politicians who were, when Greta visited, was sitting there white, goggle-eyed as she told them what scum they were for effectively destroying the planet. It's, a, it's such a bizarre circular relationship. And, you know, I, I found myself almost admiring the unfortunately quite hard right French politicians mm. who refused to go to the speech that she was given in the French parliament. They said, she, why should we listen to the Justin Bieber of ecology? Uh, you know, they called her the, the guru of the apocalypse. Uh, you know, this kind of pint-sized bringer of doom. And, you know, they were quite insulting, but their instincts were correct, which is adults shouldn't sit there and nod along uncritically as children tell us, firstly, how terrified they are. You're supposed to comfort a terrified child and say, don't worry, be not afraid. You're not supposed to say, yeah, get more and more scared because we really love it. And also adults are supposed to have a reasoned, rational understanding of the likely impact of human industry on the planet. And the idea that it's going to propel us into hellfire is simply an unsustainable idea. And it's an entirely moralistic idea rather than a scientific one, which is how they try to present it. You just reminded me, actually, of the kind of um, this, this whole sadomasochistic approach to politics. It's kind of like the white people who listen to Ta-Nehisi Coates, yeah. uh, you know, the, the white middle classes in America who, who are just desperate to hear how horribly racist and evil they are. They <laughs> love it. They love it. But it's interesting also this week, I mean, we've had um, the, the royal connection to climate change in previous weeks has, has uh, been talked about a lot with, you know, Prince Harry and Meghan having only two children, Prince Harry delivering a lecture in his bare feet to various Google executives. And now we found out this week that they've gone on a private jet to Ibiza. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because actually Greta is possibly the only person in the entire world that can't be charged with this hypocrisy mm. of, oh, you know, oh, you say you're for the planet, but you fly all around the world going to um, climate conferences. And yet, you know, at the same time, the impossibility of that journey for most people, you know, this is a what, unique yacht that she's had to take in order to cross the Atlantic. Most of us can't take off two weeks just to travel either. Most of us can't afford the kind of boats, you know, owned by the various princes of Monaco um, in order to travel around the world. It just goes to show that if we do, you know, follow the climate doom-mongers in their recommendations of um, cutting down travel or raising the price of travel, and things like that, that it really will be only the super rich that can enjoy what most of us can enjoy currently. Mm. I think the one thing about the royals is that um, 
it makes perfect sense that the royals would be interested in environmentalism as they have been for a long time you know particularly prince charles lots of people say it's Meghan markle's fault and she's ruined prince harry i'm sure there's some truth in that but the idea that she is entirely responsible for their new green nonsense doesn't really stand up you know it makes perfect sense because environmentalism is fundamentally a kind of reactionary romantic uh, pre-modern mm. movement um, you know, lots of these ideas, like the overpopulation idea, which comes from Thomas Malthus in the late 1700s, early 1800s, or the idea of nature being spoiled by humankind, lots of them come from a pretty reactionary, deeply conservative response to the French Revolution, and particularly the Industrial Revolution, and these huge, massive changes in how human beings lived and how they produce things. Uh, th- the great tragedy of our time, I think, is that somehow that movement that kind of royal reactionary uh, romantic movement against progress has come to be seen as a left-wing thing. Mm. This is the thing that most perplexes me and depresses me about environmentalism, the fact that it's come to be seen as a core element of left-wing politics. You're listening to The Spike Podcast. Spiked has no subscriptions and no paywalls. All of our content is free. We rely on the generosity of our listeners and readers to keep us going and growing. For those of you who already donate to Spiked, we can't thank you enough. It really means a lot to the team. If you haven't already, then why not consider giving Spiked a donation? You can make a one-off payment or give monthly by going to spiked-online.com. Earlier this year, the Advertising Standards Authority introduced new rules banning adverts that promote harmful gender stereotypes. The rules are designed to stop limiting how people see themselves and how others see them and the life decisions they take. The first two ads to fall foul of this ruling were revealed this week. One was an advert for VW, which showed a woman in a tent, followed by male astronauts and a male paraplegic athlete. It ends with a shot of a woman next to a pram. The other advert was for Philadelphia Cheese, Two new dads get so distracted by cheese that they end up neglecting their children. (laughs) Brendan, um, what do you make of these uh, guidelines? Oh, it's crazy. You know, the Advertising Standards Authority has always been, particularly in recent years, has been an incredibly censorious Mary Whitehouse style outfit, which has taken on this role, not simply of saying your advertising is inaccurate and therefore Mm. you need to rethink it, which I think is a fairly legitimate thing to say to big businesses if they're telling explicit lies but it's gone from doing that to actually judging the moral content and the the the, of adverts and the way in which they depict certain groups or certain ideas and they've been doing that now for a few years but i think this gender stereotype ban that they are enforcing is hysterical it's crazy it's utterly utterly authoritarian Mm. um because really what they're saying is we have to re-educate the public and cleanse their minds of problematic gender thinking um, and get them on the right track and make them realize that women can do anything and men are not all stupid ditzy losers and you just think that's uh, who the hell do you think you are uh, taking on this role to to lead the public into the realm of correct thought um so i think it's nuts and i personally think 
there's not there's nothing particularly wrong with gender stereotypes in adverts or in culture mm. or in comedy or in film you know some of the best uh, modern culture actually relies on gender stereotypes and we laugh at them for that reason that doesn't mean we are going to then think oh my sex is only capable of certain things and therefore I'll lower my horizons they're just they can be funny tim oh, well, it's a bit, you know it's ironic uh, that in the in the same week that the Advertising Standards uh, Agency has been obsessing over gender stereotypes in rather, actually rather inoffensive, funny adverts. Uh, Caroline Lucas has been busy perpetuating rather <laughs> hoary old gender stereotypes about women being more conciliatory and caring and therefore they should constitute the emergency cabinet which leads the country into the brave new post-Brexit world. Um, the <laughs> the worrying thing, of course, is that a, a lot of these, as, as Brendan says, a lot of these rather soft gender roles which Acer has decided to attack are actually out there in amongst well we live amongst these gender yeah. gender roles these gender stereotypes so it's not just an attack on say a Volkswagen advert or a, or a Philadelphia advert it's also suggesting that there's something wrong about these kind of just uh, rather harmless mm. roles that we play out in society on a daily basis, which yeah, it's a really, it's a really. Why on earth the advertising standards actually thinks that that is their role is is the particularly worrying thing. Mm. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, it was only three people actually complained about this uh, Volkswagen ad, where you see you know an image of a woman sat next to a pram for about three seconds. So thankfully, the general public is not as stupid as the uh, advertising standards authority. You know, most people know that if you see an image of a pram, that does not convey some horribly sexist stereotype that women must always and only be mothers. And I, and I think if, and you're right, Tim, these are things from everyday life. If people were mm. offended or, you know, felt limited or assaulted by the image of, you know, women pushing prams or women, you know, looking after children, then how on earth could they leave the house? <laughs> it's It's also the case that I'm sure that, Many, many advertisers will think twice before portraying a woman in the kitchen. But nowadays in the modern world, men and women cook. It doesn't mean that seeing a woman in the kitchen or presenting a woman in the kitchen doesn't mean that the person who wrote the advert or wrote the film or the television show thinks that women must be confined to the kitchen forever. I mean, it's just an extraordinary logical leap that has to be taken to in order to make these completely inoffensive and harmless things into something that should be demonised. Yeah, and as with all censorship throughout history, it's incredibly paternalistic and it's incredibly insulting. I mean, women push prams, women mm. push pushchairs, so do men. Uh, but women often do it, particularly if they take time off work in the early months of a child's life. And the Advertising Standards Authority is now forbidding images of such things and you think, well, what message does that send to the millions of women who push prams and sit next to their pram on a park bench? It, it, the whole thing is entirely insulting. It's demeaning to women. It's demeaning to men. And it, like all forms of censorship, it is designed by this tyranny of the minority who think that their moral outlook on the world is better than ours and therefore ours must be corrected. And what's extraordinary about, you know, the particular ads that have been banned is that the Philadelphia advert with the Ditsy Dads was actually, according to the company, an attempt to challenge gender stereotypes. <laughs> they deliberately chose 
two men, two fathers, in order to not show an image of two mothers. So even attempts to be politically correct, even attempts to live up to these ridiculous woke standards are apparently not good enough and are going to be banned. So, you know, really, you can't win. You've been listening to The Spike Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, why not give us a rating, a review, or even a donation? We'll be back next week, but for more great Spiked content, just go to spiked-online.com.